Um, what we will be doing is launching this morning a brand new series uh, that's four parts. And what they are are character studies. All right, so we're going to take four separate individuals and examine their lives. And I wanted to entitle the series something that was so stupid that you'd remember it. All right, so it's called the Super Servant Series. Because I know that a lot of you use Super Saver coupons. So I just want you to lock that one in your mind, the Super Servant Series. that You can't forget that. It's pretty simple. And we're going to be going through four separate characters. One of them, and the one that we're going to begin with today, is Job. You can't do a servant series without talking about that guy. Then we're going to be going through and talking about a gentleman in the Old Testament by the name of Josiah that brought renewal to the nation of Israel. Then we'll be doing a husband and wife team. Uh, I was about to say Ananias and Sapphira. No, that probably would be not the one. Yes, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, husband and wife team that did ministry together. And then we're going to be talking about a man who served in obscurity uh, named Epaphroditus in the New Testament. So we're going to be going through these character studies and trying to see what it's like to have them role model for us their lives that we might learn how to be a servant in a greater capacity or at least in a greater way. Right after that, to close out the year, we have two more books that we're going to be going through together. I would hope that you're a part of the rest of our year. If you missed that, you can grab it on podcast. But we're going to be going through the books of 1 Timothy and 1 Thessalonians. So I don't want you to miss any of that. But if you have to, you know what? That's what technology's for. So that's great. Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part one of this series. And I entitled today's message, Built for a Purpose. And I want to talk about a book that I know... Very little about. Uh, isn't that encouraging? Uh, the book of Job throughout my life has been largely unopened because I didn't understand it. Quite frankly, the book freaked me out. I didn't understand the book, and then I'd start reading through this book, and I started getting confused. All of a sudden, Job's friends say they're trying to comfort him, but yet they seem horrible. And they seem to keep talking around and around in circles. Then Job starts responding to something. It doesn't even sound like he's talking to them. So I have no idea what's going on. God shows up at the end after what's seemingly beating Job up and then rebukes him for getting upset about it. And so to me, I thought, how in the world am I supposed to get anything out of this? How am I supposed to use this as a devotional, right? Is that really, like, I want to open, start my day, so then Job, was his skin was black and festering. I'm like, oh, that was awesome. That's a great way to start the day. I didn't understand it, and it was not until I went through it again this time that I began to get at least an inkling of what in the world this book is about and why God reacted the way that he did. So I do not pretend to you to understand this book. And yes, we will be doing the whole book today. Now... Revelation was 22 chapters and I took a year. This is 42 chapters and I'm taking an hour. So you might want to hang on and go along with me. Let's all grab our Bibles. Take out your Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand and our team will bring one to you. As they come down the aisle, keep your hand up until you receive one. I'll give you the page number. We're going to be jumping around. A lot of it is going to be paraphrased. Okay, so I'm going to be sharing thoughts as we go along and you're going to go, where in the world does it say that? All right. If you want my notes, right, I did all kinds of studies. I had to go through this book over and over and over. I broke it down in concepts. Then I went and broke it down chronologically and did a cliff notes version. Then I did my complete notes. I mean, I did everything on this book. If you have any interest in getting those notes, you can just email me and I'd love to hand it to you that maybe you could dive into it and study it for yourselves a little bit more in depth. You cannot do a book justice by doing one week on it. However, we are doing more of a character study than we are doing a book study. So we need to understand that. We'll be doing more book studies a little bit later this year. Now, a little bit about Job as we begin. This book was not written by Job. Okay, I know it has his name at the top, but that's because it's about him. How do we know he didn't write it? Well, it talks about his death. That's hard. As good of a writer as you are, really tough to throw in that piece. And then I died full of years. You're like, no, no, that's not you. Come on. All right, so he didn't write it. It's probably written in the form that we have, 
probably uh, later after King David. So quite a ways afterwards, uh, uh, maybe a thousand years after the events actually happened. So how would they know, whoever was writing this down, how would they know actual discourse? How would they know this guy said this, this guy said that? I would suggest to you that it's likely Job wrote down notes. I don't think at the time he was going through this, he would ever think he would have any long life to be able to reflect back and to jot things down or to speak to someone that would write it down. But it's far too personal to not have an inside scoop on it. So somehow, some way, Job got all the information out or one of his friends got all the information out to somebody else because it is very detailed. Now, when did it happen? Here's one of the neat things. Job is one of the oldest characters in all of Scripture. His story occurs most likely around 2000 B.C. That's 3,000 years ago. He is around the same time as Abram. Abraham, who we know, right? The father of the Jewish people. If he's living at the same time, Job's not a Jew. Are we all clear on that one? We always assume that everyone that's in Scripture is Jewish. He's not a Jew. It's before the Jewish nation actually got rolling. As a matter of fact, this is 500 years, likely, before we even have Moses and the whole Ten Commandments and all that stuff. This is way back. He is a desert prince. He would have been uh, in a nomadic people. And we will find a little bit about his description and his character right here at the beginning of the book. But a couple other things before we move on. I want to talk a little bit about us. This story does two intriguing things to people. First one is it defines where you are on a continuum. The continuum is this. Imagine on one side you have a very man-central or man-focused theology. You focus on scriptures that say things like, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. We talk about things where it says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? All these things. We focus on the idea of the, the pinnacle of God's creation was mankind. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And we see how God loves us and how God pours out uh, for us, provides for us. And we kind of see how God's really focused on us. On the other side of the continuum, you have folks over here that are the super sovereignty people, right? They focus on scriptures that say things like, God, what in the world do you have anything to do with mankind? You are so mighty and awesome, we are but dust. We are worms in your sight. We are not all that big of a deal. You look at our creation and one, one tiny speck in this massive universe. I can't even believe that you would hear our prayers. I can't even believe that you would even pay attention to us. You are so high and exalted as creator and sustainer of the world. This book will define you where you are on that line as to how you read it and how you interact with it. The second thing it does to people is most people don't want to read it because they believe that if you read the book about him suffering, God will put a target on you. Isn't that true? You don't ever want to say things like, hey, I'm having a great day. Why? Because then it's all going to fall apart. Because God is waiting for you to step out of line. He's waiting for you to somewhat get cocky about how things are going, then wham, he's just going to nail you. Right? And if you read Job, then he's like, oh, you understand that now. Well, I would never give you the suffering you're about to receive unless you understood the book of Job, right? So now I'm going to ruin everybody's day by explaining the book of Job. It's so funny how paranoid we are because the big question that comes into our hearts when we read the book of Job is, what if that happens to me? Isn't that our big fear? Right? Because, I mean, it's one of the worst stories ever in Scripture, when you look at somebody's life and how it went and what horrible things befell him. 
And so for a lot of us, this book remains closed. I would hope that we would open it back up again today. For there is a question that whether you want to or not, if we are going to discuss servanthood, you must ask this question. And it is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. The question is this. Are you okay with God using you however he needs? Are you okay with God using you for however he needs, whatever his plans are? To bring glory to his name, being created for a purpose. Are you that type of servant? Or are you the type of servant that wants to say when and how you will serve the Lord? If you are a servant, then you are to do the master's bidding. Regardless of what it is. Because either it's about you or it's about him. Would you turn with me to the book of Job chapter 1 verse 1 if you drop your Bibles open to the middle you're gonna hit Proverbs or Psalms that's pretty guaranteed bounce left right so it goes Job Psalms Proverbs so that makes it a little easier to find it's page 359 in the Bibles handed to you 359 Job chapter 1 verse 1 let me just read the first five verses and we'll pray for the word and then uh, we'll dive into the message that we have today It starts out like this in the land of Uz, there lived a man. It sounds like Oz, I just realized. In the land of Oz, there was a little girl. She had sparkly shoes. And a small dog named Toto. Now, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course... Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. What an amazing man. What an amazing dad. Would our reaction be anything like his? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we will never be anything more than what you make us. I look into my life, Lord, and I'm embarrassed as to what I do with the blessings you give me. And Father, I feel that you have treated me like a most beloved son. That you've spoiled me in this life with all the bad decisions that I have made along the way. You could have allowed all the consequence to fall upon me. And yet many times you have only showed mercy. We do not deserve the lives that we live. We deserve far worse. But if there is a way, Lord, that you will utilize our lives to bring you glory, we want, at least right now, to say, yes, Lord, that is good. May we get to the place where we can say that moment by moment, every day. Holy Spirit, do the work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's recap what do we just see in the first five verses, right? Job was, quote, blameless. That does not mean he was sinless. Blameless means when you're hanging out with other people and they're looking from the outside in, there's nothing they have on you. You got it nailed down. You got everything kind of done right, at least as far as the outside goes. That does not mean you have everything right in your heart. It just means that they can't find anything to bust you on. 
He was blameless and upright, meaning he did what was right. He feared God in a awe sense, in a respectful sense, to where he considered God the master, the creator, and he reacted accordingly. And he shunned evil. He would not engage with evil. First of all, I don't know those four words describing anyone I know, including myself. So this was quite an intriguing man. And it'd be one thing if Job wrote this book about himself, right? I was an upright man. I was, quite frankly, I was pretty awesome. Um, feared God, I shunned evil. But what's weird about it is God confirms it twice. God says in his own words in talking with Satan, hey, let me tell you a little something about Job. He is blameless and upright fears me, shuns evil. So it's not man's opinion. This is literally God's tag that he puts on him. So if God thinks you're awesome, that's pretty amazing. So what we must burn into our minds is this is a good guy. Why? Because I'm about to mess with your theology. And you need to remember, Job is a good guy. All his friends don't understand that. And all their advice to him is wrong because they will not accept that. So let's continue to see a little bit more about Job. Right, his parenting, he would intercede for his kids on a consistent basis. One of his friends tried to accuse him later on of being a bad guy and it just didn't stick. There's no way. Then it starts saying a little bit of a description about what his life was like. Job was loaded. Yeah? I mean, isn't that what you just heard? He had 7,000 this, and you're like, man, that's a lot of cattle. That's a lot. That doesn't sound fun, right? In the East and in the old school ancient world, all of your wealth was defined by your herds. So the way that he would chronicle that out was to go, he was pretty much the richest man in the whole area. He was, as I told you, a desert prince. Everybody knew about Job. He was the big dog in the area. Nobody was more wealthy than this guy. And what's intriguing is I want you to keep in mind that he's super rich. Why? Because in my experience, there are two tests. One is far worse than the other. In your spiritual life, you can go through the test of abundance and poverty. And in my opinion, everyone does better in poverty. Because when you're in poverty, you turn towards Jesus. When you're in abundance, you ignore him. Job was like this, extremely wealthy. He fought the hardest challenge. It says he had ten kids, seven sons. Why is seven sons important? Well, because that's the number of completion. Even they knew that back then as they were writing that down. That was a big deal. It was almost like uh, in that day and age, remember, your sons carry on your lineage. And he had the perfect amount of lineage. He had three daughters, so it was a full family. He was very blessed. But then, he, there's more to the story. Satan later on says, wow, this guy is blessed. God has a hedge of protection around him, and his hand is upon him. So the only reason Job had what he had is because God gave it to him. God supernaturally blessed this guy. And he handled it well. Speaking of his character, I want you to turn with me to Job 29. Job chapter 29, verse 1. This is how Job saw his life when it was good. I want you to look at the character of this man. Job 29, 1. It says, Job continued his discourse. He said, how I long for the months gone by. For the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head and by his light, I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. 
When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and they would step aside. The old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and they covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because, and here it goes, I rescued the poor who cried for help. I saw the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me and I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was the eyes to the blind and the feet to the lame. I was the father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger and I broke the fangs of the wicked and I snatched the victims from their teeth. It's quite a man. He goes on to say, and you don't have to turn there per se, but in 3025, he says, Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? And then 31, 1, he said, I have even made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Verse 16, If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary... If I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, meaning then I would understand what happened to me. But from my youth, I have reared them as I would a father. And from my birth, I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from my sheep. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. For I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of His splendor, I could not do such things. Verse 32, No stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. Okay, so are we getting a flavor for who this guy is? I mean, this is extreme. This is, this is an incredible man who did things right all the time to such a degree that nobody could put anything on him. What are you going to say? What have you done with your wealth? Is this your definition? Have you gone and made it your life goal to intercede for those that are downtrodden and hurting? Or have you sat in the comfort of your abundance? Job was an extraordinary man that seemed to do so much right. And then something really weird happens. Go back to Job chapter 1 verse 6. There is a huge hum up here. I don't know if I'm standing in the wrong area. Whoa. Anybody hear that? Stand over here. All right. <laughs> Job chapter 1 verse 6. What a bizarre story. What you're about to read next will once again mess with your theology. And let's read it. It says, One day the angels, that word is actually sons of God. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Hey, where have you been coming from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Pause. Who brought up Job? He started the conversation. Secondly, where does Satan live? Here. Last time when I was teaching and I told you that Satan's not in hell, a lot of you went, what? No way. ACDC told me. <laughs> Satan lives here. Running around causing chaos, causing problems. Third, oddity. Do you see any animosity between the two of them? Huh, weird. They seem to be having a rather nice dialogue, right? Hey, Satan, cappuccino? <laughs> Have a seat. Come here. 
and they're dialoguing. Now, what's so weird about that is some of us still hold on to a bogus concept called duality. Duality teaches that there are two great superpowers warring for your soul. There is the almighty God on one side who is the master of the universe and he is the all-present good. Then on the other side, in equal measure, we have the all-powerful bad encapsulized in a man named Satan. He has little dominions that run, or minions that run around and they shower the world in evil. And they're in big war. No. That is not correct. We have an all-powerful God, the only creator, the only uncaused being, and then we have creation. In that creation, we have a rebel. That rebel has other rebel forces with him that will continue to try to cause chaos. However, there is no equality. There is not even relative equality. There is flat out God and stuff. Now, that should encourage your soul. For greater is he that is within the believer than he that is within the world. There it goes again. Now, the other thing that's intriguing about it is how they interact. Because they do have a rather nice dialogue. Is that the only time? No. Do you remember when Jesus was here on earth, how he interacted with demons? Very weird. Not at all what you expect. Here's what we imagine. We imagine that there's a whole bunch of demons loose in the world. And God is going, wait, there's one. Hurry up, grab it. Right? And then you stick it in a bag and you throw it in the abyss. Right? And he's like, got another one. Right? It's very similar to the Ghostbusters. The whole rack on the back kind of suck up the demon kind of thing. Right? That is not at all it. Or it's kind of like, oh, we better go get rid of those. Did you ever see Jesus get rid of them? Or did you see him set them free? That's weird, huh? Remember the demon, uh, naked demon guy. One of my favorite books, uh, stories in all of scripture, right? Jesus rolls up on the shore. Naked demon guy comes running out. Ah, I'm legion. He's all freaky. And when they get into a discussion, the demons start screaming when they get near Jesus. First of all, demons are scared to death of Jesus. They start shouting out, what do you want with me, son of God? Are you, have you come here to torment me? Are you trying to uh, destroy me before the appointed time? So they're completely paranoid. What is Jesus' reaction? He's super calm. He's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. What? What do you want? I'm going to kick you out because I'm setting that guy free. Where do you want to go? Pigs. Which I think is a very odd selection. But whatever. We want to go on the pigs. Now you would assume that right at that moment, Jesus would have got all riled, Right? Brings in his angels, and they start snapping. You know, and it's like rumble, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was a West Side Story reference. <laughs> okay, I do those periodically. Now, there's none of that. Jesus flat out says, oh, you want to go on the pigs? Right on. Hit it. They all jump into the pigs. The pigs are like, what? And run, you know, and then they get hit by demons. And then they all die, and where do the demons go? They're loose. To go attack somebody else. Weird. If Jesus wants them in the abyss, they go in the abyss. But he doesn't. And he's letting Satan come up and hang out and talk to him. Why? Because it's not a war anymore. In the same way you think of it. The war happened a long time ago and Satan lost. And God will simply say, right now, buddy, I'm using you for my purposes. I will let you run as long as I can utilize you. And when I am done with you, you are done. There is no battle. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of anything you could possibly do. I never was. I have always used you as a pawn in my schemes. And here we have it happen again. Let's pick the story back up. Verse 9. Satan comes back. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? Meaning you won't let us near him. You've blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. 
Ah, but stretch out your hand, strike everything he has. He'll surely curse you to your face. Stop. What's the challenge? He wants you for your stuff. That's why he does that. As long as he's blessed, he'll be all into you. I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, granted, if I told you and gave you some... Uh, well, i got to watch my language. If I, if I would give you some garbage theology, right, that would say something like, you become a Christian, everything's going to be awesome for you. Of course you become a Christian. Really? Yeah, if you're going to get all the stuff in the world, yeah, it's easy to lure you in. Right? And he's going, well, that's why he likes you. He doesn't care about you. He cares about what you give him. So, yeah, you're constantly shelling out stuff to him. No wonder he's a believer. Take all his stuff away. Then he is not going to follow you. Now, you would assume at that point God would say, Satan, that's a stupid idea. This is my man. No, you can't touch him. You've never been able to touch him. But he says this. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Ooh. Do you remember when he came to Simon Peter and he said, hey, Simon, come here for a second. Jesus did. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And Peter's like, well, what'd you tell him? prayed for you oh thanks that's really gonna be a lot of help how about you just tell him no you cannot touch simon peter you didn't do that either why doesn't god keep all suffering out of our lives because it's not good to do so that's why so satan goes out from the presence of god now when after satan gets the allowance to go shred all his stuff away I think he's going to take advantage of that. Well, that's where the story goes. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky, burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they're all dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you this. What? How about that day? You just lost everything. I have friends that have lost children. I know of none that have lost ten in one day. All his dreams, he says later, have been shattered. Everything about the future has been rocked. All his stuff is gone. He went from extremely wealthy to extremely poor. And his life was turned upside down. You know that in the back of his mind, the first thing was, there's no way this is an accident. He knows whose hand is written on this. He knows that nothing like that would ever befall a man unless God allowed it. And indeed he did. What would your reaction be? We've all watched our reactions as we've uh, engaged with this recession. We've all watched each other fall apart as we have lost different things in our lives, as our stuff has been ripped from us. We've lost homes. We have lost cars. We have lost uh, escapism. We have lost relaxation. We have lost peace. What has your reaction been? How would you handle that? I'll tell you how Job handled it, at least at first. This was his response. 
verse 20. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. That's a sign of mourning. He fell to the ground in worship. Was that your first reaction? He said, naked I have come from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job's locked in. His first reaction is worship. Is that your first reaction? That is not my first reaction. My first reaction is panic. My second reaction is anger. My third reaction is I got to get re-racked or I'm going to come undone. I need to then go consider counsel, try to re-rack my head, call my spirit down, remember and reread that God is good. Then I believe that God is good. That's not my instinct. Horrible stuff. I got to go worship. King David did the exact same thing. You remember? His son died because of his sin. One of the only times I've ever seen anything like that. Very rare. He's out there falling apart over the death of his child. And they finally said, your child's gone. He got up and went to worship. Man, what is with these guys? How do we get there? I mean, to where we're mature enough that when something befalls us, we fall down before God and immediately lock in what we know. God is good. I don't think I'm that mature, but I want to be. It's intriguing because his response was, it was all from God in the first place. He gave it to me and he was utilizing it. Now he's done with that and he's doing something else. Then he has the right to take it away. Is that your perspective? And then you assume, well, that's obviously the worst that could possibly happen to this guy. I guess God's done now. Satan's not done now. God's not done now. Chapter 2, verse 4. Because once again, they all line up. God brings it up again. Hey, sorry, Satan, kind of embarrassing for you, huh? You said he would bail on me if I took away his stuff. You took away his stuff? What happened? He worshipped me. I guess I'm pretty important to him. Satan's like, let's turn it up a notch. Let's see. You ready to go? Verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. Stretch out your hand. Strike his flesh and bones. He will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He's in your hands. But you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Verse 8. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Ew. Yeah? He's sitting there in mourning. Ashes, you sprinkle ashes and put them on your head as a sign of mourning. They're all around you. And he's just sitting there on the ground full of boils and has a piece of pottery and just scrapes at the boils because they itch. And he's just cleaning pus out. All day long. That's all he has to do. He doesn't have anything else. What are you going to do? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to scrape boils. Right? So every time you have a conversation, what? Scrape. I got a boil on my back. Can you help me? Right? So he's married. His wife's awesome. Verse 9. His wife said to him, what, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> Thanks, babe. That was, that was awesome. I really appreciate how we came together in this moment of difficulty, just like our premarital counseling sold us to. I think I learned, what, did you learn that one from Dobson? How'd that go? All right, everybody turns on him. Curse God and die. He's like, well, I'm trying. It's not exactly working. Scrape. Right? 
What actually befell him is far more than what we just read. You go through the rest of the book, and here's what I pulled out. This went on for months. I know we'd like to think that this was a week-long endeavor. It wasn't. We have no idea how long it lasted. It could have lasted for years. All we know is that along the way, he was marking out months, plural. It lasted for months. He was in so much pain that he was in pain all day and all through the nighttime. He couldn't even sleep. He said... My body is infested with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. I, in the nighttime, am plagued with nightmares and terrors that I can't even sleep. I've become a laughingstock to everyone, including my friends. I am worn out, devastated. I'm exhausted from crying. I have huge, deep circles under my eyes. I'm crushed. I have no hope. But to die, I'm exhausted with grief. I'm skinny and gaunt, but a shadow of a man. My plan and dreams in life are shattered. The greatest pain is not knowing why God is doing this. I'm confused. I'm humiliated. I've lost hope. God seems to find me an enemy for some reason. Everyone has abandoned me, including my family. My very breath, he said, is offensive to my wife. I am nothing but skin and bones, and I'm only alive. By, quote, the skin of my teeth. And yet I constantly cry out to God, but I hear nothing in return. It feels like God is just tearing me apart. I'm always anxious. My future looks bleak. My skin is blackened with sickness. And I'm constantly running a fever. I have no joy. That's really what happened. How did... Job, after experiencing that, respond to his wife. Verse 10, he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin. Then what happens is the majority of the chapters in between is a dialogue. It says his friends came to help him out. Uh, 2.11, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, and they sat in the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. All right, so we start out, and these look like good guys. These are his friends, which whatever that means, I don't know what it means because they end up being horrible friends, but they start out good. They have a desire to help this guy. They feel bad for him. There's no way you could look at this guy without feeling bad for him. They sit down, just be quiet and sit with him in his pain. Starts out excellent, but because of their theology, they could not remain helpful because of what they believed about God. They could not remain beneficial. Because of how they viewed the world around them and how they understood what God was doing. They could not help him. Your theology is absolutely important. And if it's wrong, if it's askew, if it's in error, you're going to hurt somebody. And they hurt him. Because their theology was wrong. What I will do now is just uh, paraphrase through their arguments. It's very hard to read through sometimes. So let me just let you know. Guy number one. Right? We don't even care about their names anymore. Guy number one. This is his argument to Job. Job, you were the leader of all of us. We all thought you were awesome. But now that you're hit, you just fall apart. That's kind of embarrassing. Only bad guys suffer. You know that. Not good guys. So if you're righteous, you'll always prosper. That's the way it works, so clearly you're a bad guy. You're a sinner, it's obvious by how your life is going. Well, you think you're more important than us, bigger than God. You're wrong. Just admit it or it's going to get worse. Repent and everything will be better. Guy number two. Job, what you're saying is stupid. What, you think that you're innocent? Clearly you're not. God doesn't make mistakes and no human is truly righteous. So repent and everything will be fine. We all know God blesses good guys and hurts bad guys. Three, the third guy. Quit saying you're pure, Job. You're not. This stuff only happens to the wicked. So just repent and everything will be better. Those were his friends. 
If you go through terror in your life and you have a friend come up and go, wow, you must be a pretty wicked person for that to happen to you. Is that helpful? Is it accurate? Clearly not in this case. Remember, I needed you to lock in your mind what? Job is a good guy. Not just a regular good guy, a really good guy. All this happened to him, not due to his sin. You must lock that into your theology. They could not do that. Their bad theology was somehow bought into even by Job. It was the idea that was prevalent at the time. And in some ways, we can kind of say that's all they knew. They knew that God wanted to bless those that serve him, which is true. They know that God punishes the wicked, and that's true. They were operating, but what they did is they took it to an extreme and tried to make a formula of it. That's where they messed up. Now, granted, 500 years later, God institutes an agreement with the nation of Israel that very much follows that line. Yeah? Blessings, curse. You do what I say, I'll bless you. You don't do what I say, I'll curse you. It's pretty straightforward. But that was for Israel at the time. That is not for how God works with everybody. We're not dealing with Israel right here. And the problem I have today is that there are huge millions of Christians out there that are buying into this garbage by looking backwards, trying to apply the Old Testament Israel concepts to their life and speaking a prosperity gospel. I can't stand that. If you buy that garbage, God only blesses us. He wants everyone to be rich and happy and everything to work out great. God never does anything bad. If something bad happens in your life, you must have sin in your life or you don't have enough faith to be well. That's a lie. And I'm not going to put up with it. Why? Because you're going to hurt someone. You're going to say something stupid when they're hurting. And I don't like that. I do not need more baggage slammed on the ones that I love that are already suffering. And for you to walk up and say, wow, look at your life. God obviously doesn't love you. Who do you think you are? Well, you think you got that from Scripture. It's because you can't read the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't like that teaching. It will ruin you. Does God seek to bless His children? Yes, but not at the cost of their soul. He is a good dad. He is not a spoiling dad. He is not a dad that will ruin you just so he looks great. God will be glorified. And sometimes it means our pain. You all right with that? I don't think a lot of us are. Why is the prosperity gospel so easy to believe in? Because everyone thinks they're the good guys and everybody wants it to be true because they can put a handle on God. You can't put a handle on God. He's way bigger than you would ever imagine. So this is Job's reaction in paraphrase. My friends are terrible. Just stop talking. You're making it worse. I wish I could die. God is clearly against me. I wish you would just kill me. I don't have the strength to handle this. What did I do wrong? I'm just a weak, useless human that's going to die soon, God, so just cut me some slack. Obviously, I can't argue with God. And if I could, he is not answering my prayers. God, did you just make me to toy with me? We all thought that bad stuff happens to bad people. Good stuff happens to good people. At least that's what we were led to believe. And it's easy for everyone else to judge from the outside, but I'm the one living this. Don't think that you're all innocent and high and mighty, but I am innocent and God is tearing me apart. Let's pause right there. Right here, Job starts to slip. I never saw it before. Job gets off track. His suffering bends his theology. He said... I have the right to complain, and I will argue with God because he's all I've got. It sure looks like this whole following God thing and living right to be blessed is a sham. Look around you. 
The wicked prosper, we suffer. There's no protection of God's people. It's flat out injustice. And you're all looking at me right now and you're nervous because you know I'm right. Honestly, the worst part is just not knowing why. Then this young guy walks up named Elihu. And he says, gentlemen, I tried to wait out because you're my elders and I'm the younger guy. But I can't handle it anymore. You have no idea what you're talking about. No, Job, although you are righteous, you are not sinless. No, you're not being treated unfairly. You whine that God isn't speaking, but he's speaking all the time, all around us, just not in the way you want. He's speaking through creation. He's speaking through other people. He's speaking in our dreams. You say that God is unfair and unjust. That's just not true. How dare you say that it doesn't matter if you follow God or not. God is good and constantly blesses the whole world. You say that God doesn't punish the wicked. That is not true. God is good and deserves to be praised regardless of your situation. Wow. Already? Right on the tails of that, God shows up. Now, you're going to think God is mean here. But what God will not do is allow his son to slip. And he will not allow bad theology to remain in those that are his, at least for very long. He does some things to correct things. Now, this is how he responded to Job. Verse 30, chapter 38, verse 1. Turn there with me as we close. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. What is his response? Stop telling me that I need to answer you. You keep saying, oh, God better answer this. God better answer this. God better tell me why. God better tell me why. I don't need to tell you anything. I'm God. You're not. We need to re-rack your world for a second, buddy. Quite frankly, I come in, I do things. As a matter of fact, I have a few questions for you. Let's start with who do you think you are? I'm the creator and sustainer of the world. Who are you? I'm the wise one that governs life. I'm the caring one that breathes life into all creation around you on a momentary basis. Those are my credentials. What are yours? Job answered, I have nothing to say now. I will listen. God said, stand up like a man. Answer to why you would dare challenge my justice and attack me to clear your name. Consider my power. You seen what I created? Let's look at two animals, the behemoth, Leviathan. These are my pets. Don't you get this? You're challenging me. Job replies, I acknowledge you are great and mighty. I did not know what I was talking about. I will answer you by saying, now that I've seen you and you've spoken, I can do nothing but repent and be embarrassed about my attitude. Then God rebu rebukes his three friends. Wow, you guys are lame. Nice help. You know what? I'm not okay with you. No, and I'm not going to forgive you. No, you need to make a sacrifice. You need to go over to my buddy Job. He'll pray for you, then I'll forgive you. Why do you do that? Because Job is about to be restored, and all his friends have departed from him. How do you restore a community? He forced it to go through Job for Job to handle the issues, forgive them in his heart, pray for them, and bring them back together. Job did so, and they were forgiven. And then it says this, 42, verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before, before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima. Probably not in that sarcastic way. Verse 15. 
Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived. After this, Job lived another 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and he died old and full of years. Does that make it okay? Is everything cool now? You got a ton more stuff. Right? I mean, you used to have like this many sheep. Now you got like this many sheep. So it's good, right? I mean, you got ten more kids. That's cool, right? On paper, you're even. We're clear. You sure? Ask anyone that's ever lost a child. Just because you have another one, it doesn't replace the one you lost. He still has ten children he's lost. And he's not okay. Please do not misunderstand some neat packaging at the end of the story. The truth of the matter is this. God got glory and it cost Job. Are you all right with that? What glory? God got glory in the supernatural realm as all the angels watched on. All the demons watched on. And Satan was embarrassed again. Satan, you say that I have of no value. You challenge my throne. You come at me as if you are my equal. Let me explain to you what I do in the heart of mankind. In these little bits of dirt that will follow me to the death. You want to attack them? Attack that one. And watch what happens. He drives into me. He loves me. He wants to be with me. Though he's angry with me. Though he doesn't understand. He says verses like... When I die, at least I'll be with God. That's weird to say when you're angry. One of my life verses is Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He says, how about that, Satan? You got anybody that follows you like that? I am king. And they love me. And there's nothing you can do about it. You attack them, they drive deeper. Not only that, but God has gotten glory. Gotten is not a word. God has received glory for thousands of years. As we read this story, and it's told all over the world, that millions upon millions upon millions of people would know God more because of what occurred. Did God get glory through Job's life? Yes. Did it cost Job? Yes. Is that what a servant does? Yes. But I tell you this. Even if Job was given the reason why, it would not be sufficient to explain the suffering he was occurring. Yeah? What if I told you, your life, one of your children will be lost to you. It will be to the glory of God. No matter what I tell you next, you don't care. Do you understand? Oh, other people are going to come to Jesus. You know what? At this point, I don't care. I'm hurting. I'm lost. I'm confused. I don't care about anyone else. I'm not so sure that if you got the reason for your suffering, it would explain anything. I know you want to know why. But I think if you really knew, you wouldn't want to know why. Because it wouldn't matter. So I leave with this challenge. Are you a servant of God? Because a servant serves the master, no matter what it means. You see, Job is not a super servant because of what he chose to do, because of, but because of how he reacted when it was chosen for him. Let's watch this video and leave. Job was a man. Hands down, he's more of a man than I'll ever be. But he was still rebuked by God. Why? Because he lost his vision on why he's here. But it sure didn't look like it when you looked at his life. This guy did everything right. He helped people. He was generous. He was loving. He was godly. He was the epitome of us at our best day. 
But when it all came crashing down, he lost his way. So let me ask you, have you lost your way? Have you forgotten why you are here? Has your pain and confusion blinded you to what life is really all about? Job was rebuked for calling his life meaningless. Does your attitude say that you feel the same way about yours? We are here for God, for His purposes, for His glory, not ours. It's not really about us. We say we're servants, but we want to dictate to our master our orders. The challenge for us this week is to re-rack our heads to understand that God has the right, God has the freedom to use each of us for His purposes without being called mean or unfair. To complain about what God is doing in our lives is to say that we think His plan is wrong. Don't you think it's likely that it's our plan that's wrong instead? Take a fresh look at your life. Maybe what God is designing in you may not be what you want, but it may be exactly what He needs. <laughs>